0: Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's way lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. Hi Matt, thanks for coming. Of
1: course, Tara, thank you.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, you guys are um, yum butter, um, one of the one of the standout national brands in young national brands, anyway, in this city. And I wanted to um, talk to you today about a range of things that you've been up to, um, mostly trying to get at what it takes to build a national yeah, brand. Absolutely. So. When you started this, when you you and Adrian started this, did you think you were going to be a national brand? Uh,
1: I think we had hopes of it, but sometimes it's realizing like you. there's those dreams that you think are accessible and there's those dreams that you think are not accessible, but sometimes it's safe to dream and think that it won't happen. But um, at the end of the day, after about year three, we realized that there actually was a a decent enough chance to go for it. Mm -hmm. Um, When we first started out... The, the goal I think, was just more short term, which is let's just see if this concept works. Mm-hmm. Um, if people like our food and um, and people are coming back for more, and then we'll we'll take it from there with um, And I think that has to do a lot with not a lot of experience within business, actually, and realizing that we approach business from a very much of a, a passion base versus let's diagnose the business model, let's flush it out end game, and then reverse it back to how do we start now? We started with, we've got just this massive passion. Let's just go out and start something and see where it leads. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and with with the benefit of what you've experienced since then, would you do it the same way now?
1: Hindsight is always twenty twenty, but I wouldn't. I would definitely start out um, by learning the space a lot more than we had done, and do a lot more research in terms of um, natural foods as a whole. Um, then you know narrow that down to specifically, in our case, the nut butters, um, and really understand. The landscape on a deeper level, what that means for us, the the scale that we have to get to in order to be profitable, the distribution model, what's happening with the dynamic between retailers and distributors, and um, all sorts of other variables. We I definitely would have done it differently.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. So, what do you think makes you defensibly unique?
1: I always say we we um, have three fairly significant pillars that established Yum Butter as as being unique. One is our potions, and we say potions as opposed to flavors, but just the flavor combinations that we are using within our, our butters, and we're always including different um, ingredients that aren't traditionally being used in nut butters. Um, the second one is our, is our packaging. So we have a very clear distinction in the nut butter space by having a, a side-spouted resealable 7-ounce pouch. And so introducing flexible packaging into the nut butter world, which was primarily being um, driven by... Um, like a rigid glass or a plastic jar. So that one is, I would say, a significant differentiator on why we are um, where we are today. And the last is just our social social mission, so our purpose, Um, and being really rooted in using Yum Butter as a platform to improve people's lives and integrating those three. And when, when we created Yum Butter, I knew that someone had a you know could easily knock off the actual product itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you took out one of those legs, we still would have two legs to stand on. Mm-hmm. Where a lot of people are building a, a one-dimensional company, maybe it's on a single ingredient, maybe it's on a single packaging source, but they don't have a comprehensive full package of of what their brand stands for. And Yum Butter, we've been very conscious about building those three pillars simultaneously, so that um, collectively they're in you know incredible. But if some um you know competitor were to come in and you know uh do a flexible spouted nut butter they maybe couldn't retrofit their company to have mm-hmm. a social mission at their core or become a b corp or or have the essence that we do so
0: mm-hmm. so the the three dimensions you think is what is making you defensibly unique 100% a, yeah yeah 100%
1: yeah. yep and then also just pushing the envelope in terms of how we you know how we position our brand in terms of our content, um, the voice that our brand has, mm-hmm. um, and speaking to customers and consumers in a way that maybe they haven't been spoken to before, mm-hmm. and you know, because it's it's craft foods, it's the bigger corporations that haven't kept up with mm-hmm. the on the ground um, real time changes that are happening amongst lifestyles, amongst demographics, mm-hmm. amongst trends, and we've been able to pivot and really adapt because. We, we, I always say we scratch our own itch. So mm-hmm. we are living our own demographic. Therefore, we know how to communicate to our
0: demographic. Mm-hmm. So what one of the things I find interesting in listening to you speak about your company right now is when I first started working with you guys, you were talking to me about your products. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody in food starts there mm-hmm. right? because we kind of – that's where our passion comes from. Um, and now you're talking about a brand. So uh, what do you mean by this, by brand? What does that mean to you?
1: Yeah, a brand to me is a is a comprehensive entire organism versus just a, a single offering. Um, and today with so many products being introduced to the market, there needs to be something where people actually have a relationship with. Um, and there's so many different um, options for people these days that um, they're inundated with, you know, there's, a ton of different nut butters on the market. And so the brand to them is, it's saying something beyond the product. Mm -hmm. It, It represents something beyond the offering. It elicits an emotion, a feeling, a thought, Beyond, you know, um, the actual, hey, I want to, you know, satisfy my craving for some food um, and ultimately represents something much larger. And so for us, um, you know, Yum Butter represents that vehicle um, to be able to, you know, transform and improve systems through. And that is uh, for Adrian and I, when we, we set out, that was really um one of the bigger goals is to mm-hmm. be able to use our business at the end of the day um, as as a platform and say, "You know what? We understand that we need to be financially stable." Yes, that's always number one. However, let's do our small part in terms of moving this this mental paradigm and this thought process around what businesses are, um, how you can use them, Mm -hmm. um, and the multitude of ways you can use business. Um, and then ultimately, how can you develop that relationship with the consumer Mm -hmm. where, um, they're engaged with something more than just the food. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're engaged with the message, they're engaged with the movement. And so for Yum Butter, um, you, you know, there's the things you don't know you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we set out, we actually didn't know that we were setting out to build a massive brand, mm-hmm. right? Um, but by default, when we realized what we were talking about was what much more than the actual physical good. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Yeah. It's an amazing transformation. Yeah. I have been lucky to watch mm-hmm. in you. How, how big do you think you need to be now to get to be profitable with a national brand?
1: Yep, that's a great that's a great question. Um, so there's two variables that we see. One is just your your velocities within the stores, and then your your actual footprint. But balancing both of those uh, variables, I feel like you need to have a national presence, um, and defining national presence by um, you know I would say seventy five percent of the country having a footprint where people can actually access access your food, whether it's mm. through a Whole Foods. Uh, a Target, or even like, you know, regional Mariano's or things of that nature. Um, and in terms of dollar amount, I think that's based on and relative to actually what your business model is and your margins and things of that nature. But um, for the most part, I feel like the 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 footprint protects you from being washed away in a heartbeat by mm-hmm. someone else coming in at a regional level. Um, and it uh, it allows you to also be... Um, potentially attractive to other businesses who might want to acquire you at the end Mm -hmm, of the day, mm -hmm. Um, but a lot larger than we originally thought. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and, um, is it more expensive to grow a food company Mm -hmm. than you originally Mm -hmm. thought?
1: Oh, tremendously. And that's something where... at the beginning of our journey, I, I believe the cost of doing business was significantly less than it is now, which is being driven by the flood of brands coming into the market. So the people on the other end, like the distributors and the retailers, now can up their stakes for people who want to get into the game because there's so many more people Mm -hmm. knocking at the door to try to get into the game. So for us, we massively underestimated – or actually, I would say didn't even know about the (laughs) variables, not even underestimated, but didn't even know that they existed. Um, And then still didn't even know they existed at a local and regional level. Mm -hmm. Um, When we were getting into our first few accounts – we still didn't know about the slotting mm-hmm. fees and the ad requirements and and that and that kind of circles back to the original thing, which is we just set out with a large passion, right? Mm-hmm. Not really doing our our full research on the space. Um, but the the cost of doing business is you know, drastically increased. Um, even within the last two years, it's it's mm-hmm. probably gone up maybe fifteen or twenty percent across the board. And I believe we'll only. Um, that will only increase over time,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the retailers are are bringing in a lot of brands these days. Mm-hmm. So it used to be back in the time of launching Terra's way, the barrier was at the getting into the retailer. Mm-hmm. Right, it was really hard to get into a retailer, mm-hmm. and once you were in there, there weren't a million brands of anything. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. once you're in there, trial was easier to get. Right Now it seems like trial is the hard part, right. trial and repetitive buying.
1: Yep. Yep. I would say, I always tell people the easy part for us is landing on shelf. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the harder part is staying and getting the velocities. And one reason is I believe the retailers understand that there's going to be someone again knocking at the door. So they're more apt to, to take you because they realize if you don't work, they've got 30 different mm-hmm. brands lined up that they can put on the shelf, mm-hmm. where before it was um, they needed to make sure that their bet on you was going to win because mm-hmm. they didn't have that, that queue of the people online. line. Um, so, yeah, today it's – and there's so much um, – for consumers to pick from, that to stand out, you mm-hmm. really you need to have a compelling. You know, for us, it's either the packaging. You know, how mm-hmm. does how do you get that attention of someone walking uh, through the aisle? You get basically a second or two with that. Um, mm-hmm. And does your price point is it um, attractive enough that they want to you know spend mm-hmm. six ninety nine on trying an organic peanut butter
0: in a pouch? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah. As you've been growing, have has it gotten? Um, has your production gotten more efficient? Have you been mm-hmm. able to realize some savings as you get, yeah. as you get larger?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, one from just a peer experience and having you know done it more, um, but also just from a cost of goods and from a sourcing standpoint, being able to buy in, in larger volumes um, and everything at scale allows us to be more profitable over time. A hundred percent. Yep.
0: And do you think that um, the. I think it was you who were telling me that Whole Foods now, um, you have to go into – is it nationally or what are they yes. – regionally or what is
1: – So so Whole Foods started their model by decentralizing their buying, mm-hmm. meaning that they wanted to really um, welcome the, the local producers. Mm-hmm. And they found out that although that was amazing and it did allow for them to have very unique products at a, a, a local level – they didn't capture a lot of the efficiencies that mm-hmm. um, the other national chains had captured by having, you know, centralized buying power. Mm-hmm. And so now they're in this recalibration process of figuring out how can they, in a way, meld those two models mm-hmm. together, but now all of the presentations for Whole Foods is going through Whole Foods Global, um, starting this year on all the different category reviews which changes the dynamic a lot.
0: Oh, my yeah, God. So yeah. in order to get your product into a Whole Foods, you're going to have to present in Houston. In, in um, Austin. Austin. Yep. Yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. I believe cow. that I believe that people can still go, and, like, if we wanted to sell in just to the Madison store, mm-hmm. I believe they can still sell to the one store, but it's not by region. They've kind of mm-hmm. knocked out, because before it was store, region, and right, national, right. and now it's just store and national. national. They've kind of lopped out the regional buying. Wow.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So the other thing I think that has changed is uh, when I launched Harrah's Way, really the only way to get na- a national brand in the natural category was to get in Whole Foods nationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys are in Target nationally. Mm-hmm. You're not in Whole Foods nationally. So Correct. tell me about what's changed with that.
1: I think that most of the other retailers um, realized that for, the whole, for a long time Whole Foods was just – alone by themselves um, you know making a lot of money not really putting the pressure on developing their natural sets mm-hmm. and um, got wise quickly that there was there was a lot of players There there's a lot of money to be made and so I believe that pretty much any store these days is either a form of a hybrid store where mm-hmm. it's you know you've got your conventional and um, natural it's very rare that there's any store that it doesn't have a, a big natural set um, therefore if you're a natural bent brand like Yum Butter is, um, you, every store is now fair game mm. to, to really help grow your brand. And Target um, has made a, a tremendous push on developing and figuring out their grocery, um, specifically with, with more natural, better-for-you mm-hmm. products. Um, and uh, they've got an amazing footprint, and their their brand as well is very much positioned and aligned with Yum Butter in terms mm-hmm. of what we stand for and the voice and just, you know, the feel and the the target customer or the target guest, as they say. Um, and so we felt like, you know, Whole Foods w- will, and we still love to be a, a significant partner with Whole Foods and grow on a national level with them. But um, there's other people who mm-hmm. will do that with us as well um, and uh, who can have a, a significant impact and help grow the business that mm-hmm. way. Yeah. So
0: when you went into Target, what, how many stores were, was the trial? hmm we did a, a trial with
1: them, um, and it was three hundred and fifty six stores. Holy it was, cow! Yeah, I uh,
0: think that's the trial. Yeah, right. It's the trial yeah. exactly.
1: And before that, that almost like tripled our store count um, yeah, on in the one trial. trial. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and we were on shelf for around ninety days, um, give or take, you know, fifteen or so days. And then after that, we we had to resubmit mm-hmm. to go back into to the line and you know kind of vie for a place again to mm-hmm. get. Um, rolled out on a national level. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: And when you roll out nationally, how many stores is that? Um,
1: 1,500.
0: 1,500. Yep. Holy yeah. cow. Yep. And do you get feedback on store performance on a store basis? or? Um,
1: yes and no. Um, right now we uh, are going through a distributor with, mm-hmm. with Target, um, and the level of data that we have access to on a store level is – um, more minimal than mm-hmm. if we were going direct with Target. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we do the best we can to extrapolate as much um, store-by-store data mm-hmm. as opposed to just overall, you know, skew data um, there. But that's something that we do get weekly and
0: mm-hmm. we scour and, mm-hmm. um,
1: you know, really dive into. So. Mm-hmm.
0: When you were in your trial, did you just put the products on the shelf and hope it's sold?
1: No, we, um, we spent a lot of time um, putting out a, a rollout strategy for Target. We knew that this was one of our um, bigger moments in terms of our, our trajectory to hit on a national level. So we put out a, a fairly grassroots marketing campaign, and that's something that without a ton of marketing dollars, we have had to get really, really, really mm-hmm. creative and crafty on how can we tell our story, how can we um, get people excited, and also move food off the shelf. So we had a probably a five or six-tier marketing rollout for Mm -hmm. when um, our food was on shelf. And it ranged everything from uh, getting some high-influential bloggers to blog about us to... Actual, you know, getting people on the ground and, um, you know, taking pictures with our food on shelf uh, to a a straight promotion through Mm -hmm. Target and seeing what happens with the price price elasticity. um, Banners on our website, um, you know, different things that we deploy around some specific targets that Mm -hmm. we wanted to have influence on. So really making sure that um, we're doing the most we can without, you know, running a big national ad Mm -hmm. campaign for a lot of money. So yeah.
0: Yeah, I th- I th- seem to remember you did some couponing through your we, website, right? Yeah, we right, also or did coupons. So we had get-
1: a, we had a downloadable coupon. Um, our when you landed on yumbutter.com, the first banner of the scrolling banner was, mm-hmm. you know, now available at Target. Mm-hmm. Um, click here for your free dollar off, coo- or for your free dollar mm-hmm. off coupon. Click there and downloadable coupons right from the website. Um, we also had those, you know, printed and we would deploy those to what we call our VIPs, our voracious and gestures of potions, um, <laughs> our, our VIPs around that we said, hey, here's, you know, here's a slew of of coupons. Feel free to hand them out. And some of our brand ambassadors, Mm -hmm. we did as well. So yeah, the coupon thing, um, yeah, seemed to work for sure. It did. Yep. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: And you had enough. You have enough of a database so that you can target, target. No pun intended. You can target some of your own um, database members if it's if it went in a target near them. Hundred percent.
1: Yeah. And again, you know, we we never. discredit the fact of like, you know, one consumer telling their friend is not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um and so we really deploy a lot of our internal friends and family network a lot and say, "Hey mm-hmm. guys, we really need help building this movement, you know, mm-hmm. raising awareness because at the end of the day, um relationships are really important to people and mm-hmm. that's for us the best way to grow the brand is through that personal connection. So we, we try to do a lot of things where there's that one-on-one human interaction um, where people have a personal connection with the brand somehow. It might be like, oh, you know, a friend of a friend knows Matt or Adrian or whoever it might be. Uh, the, he played on a Frisbee team with this guy who knows this guy. But it, there's still, you know, six degrees of separation back to myself or Adrian or the brand mm-hmm. or Madison or something like that where they um, they can tie into that. And then they have a, a relationship with it. And they, I think they're more apt to... Continuing to support Young Butter that way. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So, since you started um, basically the initiative to become a national brand, how how many years have you been at
1: this? I would say about six years that mm-hmm. we've technically, you know, been in business on paper, and truly two and a half or three years where we've been um, really making a go at mm-hmm. it in terms of pushing our brand out nationally. And mm-hmm. I feel this year was was the the tipping point to really getting a a footprint down where we have now something to build Mm -hmm, off of mm -hmm. um and so we're super excited about that yeah
0: yeah and um you guys have brokers around the country now
1: yep we've got some fantastic brokers um there's multiple ways um in terms of how broker networks are structured some people have Larger national brokers. Some people um, put together, you know, a bunch of regional brokers. There's a master broker. Um, we've decided again, kind of following suit with that, having more of the connection um, to to go with a uh, two regional brokers that collectively mm-hmm. have a footprint over the entire U.S. Mostly on the on the natural side of things, mm-hmm. um, and then we have a a, a target specific broker as mm-hmm. well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think when people start food companies, they don't realize how many how many layers there mm-hmm. are into in mm-hmm. the sales process, right? right? They yeah. think, well, I'm just going to sell my my right. sauce that is wonderful sauce and yeah. I sell it at the farmer's right. market and, yeah, it's...
1: Yeah, so, it, and, you know, it, again, primarily being driven also by um, more the downstream end, which is the retailers and the mm-hmm. distributors, because there's so many people coming into this space, it's harder, it's, it's getting harder for just the individual brands to be... You know representing themselves mm-hmm. because um, you know the the buyer at Whole Foods wants to be able to you know talk to one person who's got 10 or 12 or 80 or a hundred who knows um, mm-hmm. items in their portfolio because uh, he doesn't want to take 80 to a hundred meetings right. right I mean right. unfortunately well, it comes down to time which no one has enough of um, and so that factor is is unless you're a really large national brand and you have your own internal salesforce team um, you know, then, of course, they'll take your meeting. But um, for a lot of the people like us, it's you know, you're, a big part of the reason why you have that is for their network mm-hmm. um, and for their connections um, and uh, to be able to help that execution. Um, mm-hmm. And for us, too, it's on that store level where we really want to have really good execution on the store level. We want to have a lot of touches on shelf so that, you know, we know have, we've got shelf tags that are hung appropriately. Mm-hmm. The prices are right. Um, you know, it's the wild west on the shelf. So if a shelf <laughs> tag falls off, you, you you know, that buyer probably won't click it again and you're not going to get reordered and somehow you magically fell
0: off shelf at mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z stores. So,
1: um, yeah.
0: So, yeah. And I think people don't kind of put it together that brokers, not only do they sell you in, but they help you keep product stocked. I mean, mm-hmm. somehow retailers can't seem to get keep their own, you know, you would right. think that's right. how they make money is having full shelves, but right. they seem to forget stuff. And so yep. brokers are good.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and there's varying levels of um, different brokers have different strengths um, and different philosophies. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that you, you find one that fits your segment of where mm-hmm. you're at what you're looking for a feel for us it's really important that the people who are representing us also have mm-hmm. a, a similar esque you know style mm-hmm. of doing business and and philosophy on why they're doing business in general mm-hmm. um, so it's not a, a massive disconnect where we have you know the the messaging of yum butter and then someone coming up that doesn't really mm-hmm. adhere or fit um, on some levels to what that's about mm-hmm. you know if that mm-hmm. makes sense
0: absolutely so um why don't you talk a bit more? You've mentioned the social impact part of what mm-hmm. you do, but why don't you talk some more about Buy One, Feed One? Sure,
1: absolutely. So a big component of, of what Young Butter does is we have a, a program that we launched called the Buy One, Feed One Project. And the Buy One, Feed One in um, a simplest form is for every pouch or jar or for every unit that we sell, we um, provide holistic health care um, and therapeutic supplementation to children and mothers in need.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's something where... Um, we actually started the Buy One Feed One project here in Madison, mm-hmm. and we were um, delivering uh, organic five-pound pails of nut butter to the after-school programs, mm-hmm. and would call them at the end of the week and see how much they needed again, and realize that they were like, oh, we actually don't need any, and the next week we call, and we don't need any, we're like, what's going on? And they said, well, um, it's really sweet of you guys to be able to do this. However, like, the kids aren't eating it because there's not enough sugar mm-hmm. in the butter, And we're like, wow, that was, you know, kind of a rude awakening a little bit. And so Adrian and I went back and we said, well, where can we have an actual direct impact Mm -hmm. and um, where there's there's a scarcity of resources? Mm -hmm. Here we were giving organic peanut butter and they were denying it um, because here there's a a scarcity of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, And the resources sometimes trump knowledge. If you're starving, you really don't care about, Mm -hmm. you know, if there's sugar or not. Um, So simultaneously, Adrian had connected and and made great friends with um, a gentleman who founded the clinic that we now support. Um, And it's a clinic called Primeros Pasos, which stands for First Steps. And it's in Sheila, Guatemala, um, which has the second highest malnutrition rate in the Western Hemisphere. And it's a a very interesting conundrum because the region that Sheila is in actually has Uh, an irrigation from the ground up. So there's a riverbed that Mm -hmm. flows underneath the ground, and they pull vegetables out of the ground there four times a year. So can you imagine, you know, plopping, you know, um, some seed in for whatever that might be, and in three months you have a full harvest. Um, But the sad thing about that region is that um, 99.9% of the food that they're growing is exported to either Mm. El Salvador, Mexico, or the U.S., and the people can't actually afford to eat their own food. Ugh. They would rather sell it than feed themselves, yeah. which is mind-blowing. Um, and so we, we decided, hey, we, we want to have uh, a direct impact where people, they just don't have access to mm-hmm. a lot of the resources. Um, and also that we were really excited about this specific organization, placed a lot of emphasis on, teaching people about Mm -hmm. nutrition um it's like the classic saying you know teach a person to fish Mm -hmm. versus you know fish for them and um so we really wanted to be a part of something that um was addressing the deeper root which Mm -hmm. is like let's teach ourselves how to you know um grow higher quality Mm -hmm. vegetables um to actually what what does nutrition mean Mm -hmm. because a lot of these people if they're starving they don't they just need to get food in them they don't care Mm -hmm. um So to make sure that if they're in that state and we're teaching them and helping them grow their own Mm -hmm. food and um, to understand food on a deeper level that hopefully over time, um, the, the the malnutrition will go down. Mm-hmm. And malnutrition is different than starvation um, because a lot of times people think malnutrition is the kids with the big bellies mm-hmm. and, you know, that you would see on the the posters or whatever with super, you know, thin arms and the big bellies. Mm-hmm. And the malnutrition is a little bit more disguised where um, they, on some level, uh, appear to have normal weight um, mm-hmm. but are almost dying from the inside out. So it's mm-hmm. almost scarier because it's, it's less... Uh, diagnosed and it's less mm-hmm. noticeable. Um, and it's really from the quality of food that they're eating um, and also uh, the health of the mother while, you know, mm-hmm. the baby's in utero. Um, and so there's a lot of um, education uh, with the mothers mm-hmm. as well to make sure that if they're breastfeeding, that mm-hmm. they're not doing certain things and um, that they're eating a higher quality diet so that they can have a healthy baby.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: So did I hope that yeah, I, I kind of went no. down the rabbit hole there. Yeah, um, no, but, I but that's wanna, okay. Yeah. But it,
0: it it's um, so so you you're supporting them with mm-hmm. with product or money? Well, or that's both? a great
1: question. Um, we su- uh, support them with financial uh, donations. So for every mm-hmm. unit that we do, we we support them financially. Um, so a lot of people think that it is is actually yum butter being sent down to mm-hmm. Guatemala. Um, however, it's not. Um, it's it's with uh, easier financial It's easier to move money. Yeah, move yeah. Money. yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah. And some level, it's also it's you know it's more it's it's what they need as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would love to someday have you know like there's like the Medica mambas and different. Um, uh, Plumpy Nut are some of the mm-hmm. uh, supplements that people ship down there, and uh, I, someday I would love to have our own version mm-hmm. of that. You know, mm-hmm. a, a highly um, supplemented, uh, kind of power-packed. You know, whey
0: protein. There you go. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. No, I mean sadly, <laughs> yeah. one of the things that that whey protein is used mm-hmm. for is is um, um, air dropping into yep. into war zones yep. and things because it's such a Efficient protein yeah. vehicle, but absolutely. Yeah, it was always one of the more kind of distressing things to know about the yeah. product that I made. You yeah, know?
1: right, right, yeah. right, right.
0: Yeah, so um, do people ask you about it? About about, about one buy one, feed one.
1: Often. Yeah, yeah, it's it's something where, um, and again, we uh, we've played around with the hierarchy of our messaging, understanding. I'm um, at the end of the day, people buy yum butter because it tastes good and it it works for them um and and multiple studies have been done um you know from organic valley Mm -hmm. uh, to uh cliff bar to patagonia to some amazing companies that um have a strong social mission at their Mm -hmm. core and in terms of where does this where does the why fall into their messaging in the Mm -hmm. brand um and so for us uh we've decided that you know we want people to engage with our food because it tastes good and it's great and it's great for you. And by the end of the day, when you do a little research on Yum Butter, they're like, "Oh, cool! Mm-hmm. There's you know the company also has a heart and they're and they're doing something with their platform." Um, but uh, we we do we get often mm-hmm. asked um, why and how does this work and um, you know ultimately I think people get excited that you know their purchase doesn't stop there mm-hmm. it can, it's you know mm-hmm. continue, it's a gift that keeps on giving right yeah. right
0: I I um I. When people, when I'm working with companies now and they want to do some, uh, some sort of so, social mission mm-hmm. aspect to their brand, uh, I'm, I'm really, um, really forceful with people that I think it's important that it's real. Like, Correct. Um, because I think people, there's so much transparency now. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't want it to be transparent, right. it will be transparent. Yeah. So yeah. people will figure it out if you're bluffing. Correct. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I would say first of all, if you're going to, you know, I'm I'm a huge component that there needs to be some sort of whether it's pronounced or not, there needs to be some sort of um Give back. Now, that form can look many different ways, mm-hmm. right? It could be to the employees. It could be strictly to the environment. Mm-hmm. It could be however. Um, and the type of give back should be congruent to, like, what your business is. Mm-hmm. You know, for us, if we gave shoes, like Tom's, because right. someone bought a pouch of nut butter, there would be a disconnect there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, ultimately, you need to be able to tell a cohesive story to the consumer of uh, why you chose to participate mm-hmm. in this way. And a lot of times, it's d- with direct association to the actual um uh, food or product that you're um, you're giving, like Bombas socks, for example, mm-hmm. they give you know really strongly constructed socks to the homeless people, mm-hmm. and I think it's brilliant, you know. Um, but you're absolutely right, Tara. It has to be something where um, you need to be fully transparent, and the the greenwashing is it runs rampant, um, mm-hmm. and I think people can tell the difference between being authentic and, and genuine and actually having this versus. It's purely a marketing ploy. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, it, it'll come out, and people can sniff that out if it's just – it's if it's poorly executed or if it's like a, an add-on or people mm-hmm. are trying to retrofit. Um, because if it doesn't match the brand, I, I would say that almost it works against you um, mm-hmm. because people then be like, don't try to take advantage of that And some level. Um, so I'm a huge – I mean, we're absolutely huge advocates for embedding something into your – your DNA and your culture uh, of, um, you know, spreading the love, as we like to say. And again, it doesn't have to be the form of financial mm-hmm. donations. It can it can look so many different ways, um, and uh, and that it needs to be authentic. Mm-hmm. It really does need to be authentic. Um, and um, and maybe you know your small thing is that. There's no financial donation, but, like, you're – by your business being in business is improving the world mm-hmm. somehow. You know, you're just offering a better solution to mm-hmm. something. And that's totally cool as well. Um, and not to, like – I've been very delicate to position social missions as, like, good or mm-hmm. better than mm-hmm. just regular companies. Right. And by regular, like, I don't even like that term either. Yeah. Um, it's just having a different – Um, philosophy on things because Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of great businesses that aren't throwing around the buzzwords like, you know, conscious Mm -hmm. or social mission or, you know, sustainable or any of that, but they're doing it all in spades Mm -hmm. and they've been doing it and that's been in their DNA forever. Um, And I think about some of the co-ops, farmer Mm co-ops that have been in the state of Wisconsin for 20, 30 years, and they've been doing very cutting edge Mm -hmm. stuff forever that they didn't even know... That there was terms for that, right. um, and that there was a whole movement around this piece, because that's just who they are, and that's how they do business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, I'm really adamant about making sure that people feel included mm-hmm. and not excluded, and that that there's a right or wrong or a good mm-hmm. or bad way to be doing business. But just to think that, um, you know, first of all, on our end, there's there's another way to be doing it if maybe you want to have a different outcome. Um, so, and I'm not sure if mm-hmm. that answers your sure. question. Yeah. Do
0: you think your investors, um, do you think the social impact resonates with your investors? Is that part of why they invested that's in a, you?
1: That's a really good question. I would say yes, but not their primary reason. Mm-hmm. Um, At the end of the end of the day, for most things, it comes back to like, do you have a viable business Mm -hmm. proposition, and are you, you know, can you see scaling this, and is it going to make money at the end of the day? And if all those answers are yes, and you have a strong social mission, Mm -hmm. it's kind of the icing on the cake. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I mean, I know that there's, um, you know, social impact investing. um, But at the end of the day, investors are investors. You know, you can. (laughs) There's only so much way to, you know, kind of. Try to disguise it, right? <laughs> All right. Um, and uh, I think certain people have a higher tolerance for maybe less return ish mm-hmm. um, or something like that. But at the end of the day, their money is their money, and they mm-hmm. want to see a return. And maybe it's not a, a you know whatever that uh, magic number that they're looking for is, um, or in as quick of a time frame, mm-hmm. right? That's usually the right. variable that is the biggest. Um, the one that has the biggest fluctuation is like I am okay having my investment returned in 15 years as right. opposed to four, four or five, right, you know, right. and the multiple of a crazy, you know, mm-hmm. whatever tech multiple, company, yeah, yeah, tech company versus mm-hmm. like a slower kind of more sustainable multiple. That's where, but they still want to see their mm-hmm. money back, and they mm-hmm. still want to see a multiple, and there's still mm-hmm. a time frame. So that's where I think the biggest play comes into for mm-hmm. the investors. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I do you think that they so around here we have a lot of tech investment mm-hmm. going on because we have a lot of biotech here and we have software here food as an investment is something that is um, not as well known around here mm-hmm. so do you think that that um, there's an opportunity for us to educate people more about how an investment in food might fit in your portfolio
1: a hundred percent I think food as a Um, as a category is just going like crazy. So people, um, I think, should be aware of how Mm -hmm. that fits into the portfolio. I also think that there is a a blending of tech now and Mm -hmm. food. So Mm -hmm. there's many companies that are kind of smooshing those Mm -hmm. uh, things together and they're starting to play around almost like conventional versus natural Mm -hmm. grocery store. Now they're all you know, grocery stores with a big natural set or, um, mm-hmm. you know, so thinking about that, I feel like the lines will be more blurred as time goes by and that people should realize that, um, you know, from a purely financial standpoint, there is a lot of money mm-hmm. to be made still mm-hmm. in, the, in the food world um, that's not being recognized. And it might mm-hmm. be a little bit less, you know, kind of multiples or the space is, you know, not as pronounced as tech is. Mm-hmm. However, it's fairly significant. And there's a lot going on there. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Yeah, and, and I always sort of feel like, um, you know, 5% net income at the end of every year. That happens every year, even when there's a recession, because right. people don't stop eating. Mm-hmm. And we kind of know the product is going to work, mm-hmm. right? It isn't, like in biotech, you don't know right. for years, right? right? And, right. and so, um, th- meanwhile, a food company is, is generating 5% net income every year. So, mm-hmm. you kind of compare the... the um, the investments they're very different, mm-hmm. um, but but I think there is a place in people's portfolios. A hundred
1: percent. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You raise both debt and equity, right? Correct. Yeah. Yep. Um. So you know, just just some ballpark. We don't need to know exactly. But mm-hmm. when I started Tears Way, and I was launching the brand. Um, um, people told me it would take a million bucks. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, oh, come on. Mm-hmm. I'm from the Midwest. Debaling right. wire and duct tape. I'll do it really <laughs> – I'll do it cheaper. Yeah, okay. And it was a million bucks. Right. And that was, uh, what, six years ago, seven mm-hmm. years ago now. Mm-hmm. How much do you think it costs now?
1: Uh, to really do it well mm-hmm. and to blow it out, I would say double. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you can – and that's with um, – that's with a steady velocity. Mm-hmm. Um, some brands that, um, you know, these are the one in a thousand brands that come out and they hit mm-hmm. um, and they sell, you know, cases and cases of skew per week per store. I think that's different where they can start to generate cash um, mm-hmm. quickly Faster. in comparison to their burn of, of, you know, using that money to, to grow in distribution. But I think if you really want to lay down a a footprint of, like, 5,000 stores or more Mm -hmm. um, and you're getting – and you're working with national um, chains, whether it's Kroger or Safeway or – um, you know, Whole Foods, whatever that might be, um, and you really want to support it well. Mm-hmm. And it's not just getting on shelf um, and p- paying the slotting fees, but it's getting on shelf and wh- what kind of program do I need to put around this mm-hmm. uh, in order for this to be a success at the store level? Um, I think around that $2 million mark is is a very, very, very moderate, fair mm-hmm. assumption. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I talked to some folks in the private equity world who who Actually, pretty. They understand this pretty well, mm-hmm. um, but they sort of go like, "Well, maybe you could just start as a regional brand first, um, mm-hmm. and then do national later, mm-hmm. and then it doesn't cost as much, and maybe you have some." What do you What do you feel about that?
1: In terms of uh, kind of rolling as out a strategy, on a regional, yeah, yeah, I I think it is highly dependent on what category you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a first-to-market food. Mm-hmm. Um, just the trends that are hitting. So I, I think it really depends on a few variables but mm-hmm. ultimately it's going to be if you're looking at end game it's going to be all roads lead to a national right. you know distribution right. regardless so it it all depends i think how fast you hit the throttle is mm-hmm. uh, well how well funded are you first and foremost right. um, and then what's happening like if you're if you're a first to market like we have obviously nut butters have been around but we've got the pouch mm-hmm. right so that's a little bit um, at least right now our our ace in the hole and our point of differentiation so how can we lay down that footprint and mm-hmm. still go deep and wide at the same time. Um, you know, I, I look at stuff right now in terms of like the grain-free or paleo market. Sure. Um, if you're the first, you know, grain-free uh, pizza crust and mm-hmm. no one's that, well, you want to you wanna be known as that. Like, mm-hmm. I think about the kombucha world back in the day with, with GTs and, sure. you know, people are like, "You're I'm going to pay $3.56 for, you know, a, a nasty bacterial culture right. and now he's, you know, like the kombucha mogul, but he he um but he really like, you know, laid that footprint mm-hmm. down and um went big and um you know, that, that was over time, but there was no one. He was the only player in the space mm-hmm. for years and years and right, years. Right. Um, and so I think it all depends on how fast the category is moving, who's coming in,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know. How well-funded
0: they how well are. How well-funded, yep. you know, this
1: Kraft or uh, any of these companies have one of the type of things that you're doing in their portfolio where they mm-hmm. could just squash you overnight versus mm-hmm. they, they, they don't. Again, a lot of different variables. But mm-hmm. um, ultimately, I think all roads lead to having a national distribution and footprint. And so mm-hmm. you're going to get there one way, one way you know, or Yeah, other. either slowly yeah. or quickly. Yeah, yeah slowly or yeah. quickly, right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it all depends on – and that goes back to, like, your business strategy. Some people mm-hmm. want to, you know, just – drive up top line sales mm-hmm. and they want to sell their company in three years and they want to be done and um, retire or tr- start something new. Some people are like, nope, I want to have a legacy brand. I want to be able to have this for, mm-hmm. you know, 50 years. Yeah. I think about Organic Valley and, sure. you know, they're they're farmer owned and they have no interest in selling. Mm-hmm. And so for them to get there, if it takes another 150 years, <laughs> right. they're totally cool, right. you know, which is great. And there's no wrong mm-hmm. way to, to splice that up. Um, I think it just depends on, goals and categories and funding and
0: mm-hmm, things of that nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and you've had, um, so you have worked with banks, right? Correct. To a certain degree. Yep. Um, how, what, what has that been like?
1: It's been interesting. Um, I would say there's always pluses and minuses <laughs> of working with banks. Um, however, I uh, Finding the right bank that understands food is, I've, I believe, really important um, as if they're looking at different loans that they're making that are in other mm-hmm. industries that yield to different results and maybe on a timeline, a quicker mm-hmm. result or, or quicker um, time to profitability mm-hmm. is going to be um, uh, is important for them to understand if they're working with food, we're playing on a different set of rules than we are if we're working on right. tech um, and that you can't expect our books to look like a tech book um, mm-hmm. for a lot of different uh, areas. But um, I, th- I think banks have a, a, a huge place in terms of uh, growing a brand and making sure to preserve as much equity, mm-hmm. and and um, but also balanced with,
0: mm-hmm. with the equity piece, too. Uh, I think that one of the other things that I'm observing is in this em- environment of so many brands, so many young brands out there... Um, there, there is this predilection um, to saying that, well, you don't. We don't want you as if you're an investor, mm-hmm. particular. We don't want you investing in anything but your brand. So you're not mm-hmm. going to manufacture because mm-hmm. manufacturing food always involves mm-hmm. stainless steel, mm-hmm. which is not cheap, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, I look at that, and part of me thinks, well, maybe this is because I'm from the Midwest and I've run manufacturing mm-hmm. companies, mm-hmm. so I am less. I'm not uncomfortable with that at sure. all, right? Um, and we have manufacturing around mm-hmm. here, um, but I am sort of coming to this to to the position that is a bit different that says mm-hmm. that I think the brands that are going to um, persist mm-hmm. for a long period of time are going to mm-hmm. manufacture. Mm-hmm. What do you think about yeah.
1: that? Yeah, so that's a super good question. Um, I would go back to. Um, First of all, what is what is your timeline for um, – mm-hmm. what does your initial uh, funding look like? And at the end of the day, I think most brands would prefer to have their own manufacturing. Just from a quality assurance, um, you really get to find out, um, you know, you can move quicker. You mm-hmm. can pivot quicker. Um, and uh, obviously, the numbers over time should make better sense mm-hmm. from a margin standpoint. Um, there are certain companies, however, that – don't want to. I know, um, you know, some of the bigger CPGs still Mm -hmm. decide to do contract manufacturing for everything. Um, but over time, I think it would probably make the most sense on many levels to bring that production Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. back
1: in house. But sometimes it's, you don't have the manpower and you don't have the bandwidth or, uh, the resources or just, you know, it's, there could be situations where it does make more financial sense to have a contract manufacturer. Mm -hmm. I know, um, there's a, a popcorn company that I believe their whole entire operations three people and including sales and their, like, in 10,000 right. points of distribution because they can leverage all that mm-hmm. outsource. Um, and the outsourcing of everything is possible these days. Mm-hmm. You could literally have a one-man show and you could have someone doing your social media feeds, someone making your food, someone selling you into the stores. You could have your merchandisers and it could be – however, it's a lot to manage and it's going to be very, mm-hmm. very, very expensive – but it you know it's possible, mm-hmm. and that's the cool part i believe of of the resources that are available out there, which is you can literally be on both sides of the spectrum, from everything in house mm-hmm. to everything outsourced in in theory, they should both work. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just gonna need different skills and different margins and all that kind of stuff. But it comes down to where you at, what is your goal mm-hmm. and um and ultimately, like, you know what is your what is your final end game mm-hmm. look like, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I mean, I would imagine a, a popcorn company, the cost of goods sold is probably pretty low. So you have a lot of money that you can pay a lot of people who are outsourced, right? right. I mean, right. it has been my experience that actually you end up paying more over time as you mm-hmm. get bigger when you mm-hmm. outsource things. Right. Um, yeah, and and food safety these days right. is just... Uh, it's a paramount importance, mm-hmm. you know.
1: And that's even growing. There's there's new laws coming out even next year where that is being more strict and more strict and more strict. Um, yeah. So if you don't know what you're doing there, it can be rather daunting. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I yeah. think that's why a lot of people tend to do the contract manufacture sure. because, like, I don't know a darn thing about making, Absolutely. you know, food. And, passive plans and this and that mm-hmm. and allergen mm-hmm. controls, they're like, uh, I'm just going to go build a brand and sell the pants mm-hmm. off this stuff um, mm-hmm. versus, you know, thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Yeah. Who knew it was so complicated right? to do a food company? <laughs> we just man. wanted to
1: make peanut butter. I know. Hey. It started let's go that way, didn't yeah, it? Exactly. Yeah, that's
0: what I hear. Holy cow. Do you – how do you use market research data?
1: Great question. So uh, right now, the data that we receive um, in market research by, uh, I'll define it in a couple, couple different ways. One is, what does, what type of emails are we getting through our general email inquiry? You know, what are people talking about? So never mm-hmm. uh, discredit the fact that like when you're doing demos, that's the best market research we could possibly get um, in figuring out how to Make sure to ask the appropriate questions mm-hmm. when you're getting one-on-one time with, you know, the people who, at the end of the day, the big data agencies are trying to pull from regardless. So mm-hmm. you just kind of, you know, sh- um, shortchanging that. Um, so we are very, very adamant, again, about, you know, more of the guerrilla grassroots because we don't have a ton of resources to buy the mm-hmm. big, um, you know, syndicated data package um, to pull from the more one-on-one interactions Mm -hmm. so email um, uh, and when we're at the trade shows you know and then also uh, when we're doing demos but we do have a we do have some syndicated data for sure that we get um, all the time and and we do dive into that all the time Mm -hmm. Um, and figuring out the everything from obviously our our sales volumes and velocities to void reports to um, you know what SKUs we're selling and what stores Mm -hmm. was dropped off and, and things of that nature and over time, as, as scale gets bigger, that for us is becoming way more important than mm-hmm. it ever was. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when you've got a few stores that you're um, managing, you can just drive over, you know, and right. ride your bike over there and say, oh, we're on shelf. We look good. Um, <laughs> yeah, check, yeah, right. We're good. We're good there. Um, versus, you know, as our footprint gets bigger, figuring out. And that's where I feel the rubber meets the road is, um, you know, how do you manage then all of these accounts mm-hmm. properly? Um, and for us, it's been how can we do more with less, mm-hmm. as opposed to just kind of muscle our way through and get bigger, mm-hmm. um, bigger distribution. Because at the end of the day, if we can extrapolate five times more out of the store, mm-hmm. that's much more cost effective than just to try to gain right. that sale of what we're missing by executing on buying new distribution.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, and and that's that's uh, advice that I've gotten from many um, brands, um, national brands that have come out, and they just boom, they, they, they do 10,000 points of distribution. Mm-hmm. They and realize and they can't support them. it yeah. and they pull it way back. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, and then they say, oh, okay, wow. Well, we can actually, from a top-line standpoint, we can do the same with maybe mm-hmm. half the amount of stores mm-hmm. if we're just doing one more turn mm-hmm. a skew per week per store and that's a whole different ballgame than just saying, I'm going to have, uh, you know, 20,000 points of distribution, distribution doing one unit right. versus 10 doing two or three right. Um or even 500 doing 12, you know, so.
0: What part of the country do you sell the most in?
1: We actually sell um, the most here in the Midwest now. Damn! Yeah, 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 it's so crazy. Um, But uh, we had Madison and then we went out to the West Coast um, and then slowly brought on the Whole Foods Midwest was the last region for us to come on, mm-hmm. but um, we're doing the best here. And um, Damn, I don't know if it, yeah, it's, it's it's insane, and um, I don't know if it's if it's more competition on the West Coast and East Coast, um, if it's just the the better connections that we have here. Mm-hmm. But um, through and through, by. 20 to 30 percent um wow yep yep our best region still midwest so Mm -hmm. minneapolis is a great market chicago uh uh, and then madison Mm -hmm. for like the the close midwest um and we're still building out like indiana and ohio and iowa and nebraska like that but our our neighboring states Mm -hmm. uh and minneapolis is great too they've got such an amazing co-op scene up there Mm -hmm. and uh great whole foods and you know, other stores, uh, and Byerly's mm-hmm. and, you know, all sorts of, um, great things. So, yeah, still the Midwest. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Do you think that's because you've had more press here too?
1: I think so. Um, I, I, the competition's less on shelf. Yeah. Um, so you go to Southern California region and you've got a lot of people introducing, mm-hmm. you know, specialty nut butters, um, and, um, you know, it's just it's, the space is more cluttered there. It's Here, it's, it's still very, very active, but just maybe 10% less uh, cluttered. Um, and uh, we've got an amazing broker team here in the Midwest, too, mm-hmm. that is just phenomenal on the ground. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is uh, one of our mm-hmm. reasons for success here is that we've got touches all the time happening in the store.
0: Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So... If you were talking to somebody who says, "Yep, I want to do a national brand," mm-hmm. um, what would you tell them?
1: I always um, I always start with go back to the why. Mm-hmm. Why are you personally doing this in the mm-hmm. first place? And um, what does this endeavor represent to you? Um, so many people are like, oh, it's a side project that like slightly morphs into like, oh, shoot, oh, like no. now I'm doing a full-time gig, but oh. I can't, I don't have enough energy. A hobby
0: that's losing yeah, vast quantities exactly. of money. Yeah, a hobby that's like bleeding
1: your time, your energy, <laughs> and, and the whole money. thing. Um, and then they're too far into it that they can't get out, um, but they can't make the switch and like quit mm-hmm. their full-time job, so they get in these little things. So um, to start out and be like, what what is this represent? Like, what does this whole adventure to you represent? Mm-hmm. Why are you doing it in this first place? Is there other avenues for you to get there? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're looking just to like make a ton of money, i would say, well, you know, you, you could be an anesthesiologist, <laughs> right? you know, it might, be um, and it might be easier with all the training. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. or, uh, you know, there's just a, a whole, uh, you know, bunch of questions that I would say, ask yourself why you're doing the first place. Um, are there other, other avenues to get there? Um, and then, have you done your research? Mm-hmm. You know, do you understand the the nuts and bolts of the food mm-hmm. space? Do you understand how the the, the economics work? Um, and what is your like? What's your commitment? What's mm-hmm. your like? How much time? How much energy do you have? What's your threshold for stuff not going well or mm-hmm. breaking down or misfiring all the time? Um, where are you at in your stage of life? Mm-hmm. You know, are you like? kind of nearing retirement, and this is like a side gig, or are you, you know, someone in in their earlier, you know, 30s or 40s who still have a bunch of gas left Mm -hmm. in the tank, and you just want to go for it. All those factors, I think, should really be Addressed, Mm -hmm. and if you're laid all out on the table and you're totally cool with it all, then I'm like, go for it, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But if if there's not that that clarity, then I would say just make sure you know what you're getting yourself Mm -hmm. into. Um, But I'm a huge advocate, like you know, I'm uh, the biggest proponent of people going for their dream ever, Mm -hmm. um, and just to go for it. But in a in a way that they have um, with some sort of calculated not risk, but just some, some mindfulness mm-hmm. and some thought around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, because that will allow them, I feel to have a, a much different experience, um, and ultimately be okay with what's coming at them because mm-hmm. they've already said yes to it. Right? right. As opposed to like saying, well, I wasn't expecting this. Mm-hmm. I didn't think this was going to happen. And i um, like, well, you know, that's, that's kind of what kinda, happens. Yeah. Kind of what happens. But, um,
0: so have you had any near death experiences oh, here? Just a couple uh, just a couple <laughs> yeah yeah
1: yeah no it's um
0: it is amazing mm-hmm. i when I think of every single um every single business that I know that has been successful mm-hmm. um has been or is being successful in in the food business right. has had at least one, if yeah. not a couple yep. near death experiences yeah and i I don't think people realize that yeah i I know I didn't. Realize that, mm-hmm. but when I started.
1: Right. Um, no, for sure. We've had we've had probably too many than I care to admit. <laughs> um, but on some level, um, it's like going back again to that what are you willing to really put at stake to make this thing go? Totally. Um, and certain people, you know, the stat is uh, probably increasing these days, but one in every two businesses fail or whatever. Because I feel like um, when that entrepreneur or business or team gets to that barrier that they feel is. Impassable, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, there's no way around this thing, and they're like, well, I guess we're, we're out of business, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's finding a solution when there is no solution no in mind. Like, solution, you're standing yeah. in a concrete box. You're know, like, you have to get out of this. You're like, but we're in a concrete box. You know, mm-hmm. you're like, well, find a way. Like, um, and so uh, yeah, I think it's it's really important that people understand that you're gonna. It's not easy. And I tell. Mm-hmm. I always tell people if it was easy, everyone would be doing mm-hmm. it. You know, um, and uh, it's a very special breed that. Um I think it takes to really make it happen. And and there's some Mm -hmm. variables that absolutely set a different stage and foundation. So if you're incredibly well-funded, that's going to relieve the pressure Mm -hmm. significantly. Mm -hmm. Um, If this is your second venture, that's Mm going to change the game significantly. Um, But if it's somebody like myself and Adrian who, um, you know, a ton of passion, Mm -hmm. learn quickly, but not a ton of experience in this Mm -hmm. space um, and a desire to achieve, uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a different ride because we're we're learning as we're going I and mean, we're building the airplane while we're flying. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we're we're learning to become pretty quick builders, yeah, you know? <laughs> um, and efficient builders. Hopefully, mm-hmm. so. But yeah, you definitely have to go back to um, if you're. I would say if you're absolutely okay with worst case scenario and you're okay with you know taking people's money and losing it and going out of business and this, and you're like, yep, I can go to bed at night Mm -hmm. knowing that that is a possibility, then you are golden. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you're not okay with the worst case scenario, then you might want to have a little conversation with that and check it out a little (laughs) bit. Um, Because it could happen. And I think a lot of people... um, Play on their optimism more than you know. the the flip side, and they're like, "It, it won't happen to me, right? right? Um, it might not, but it very well could." Mm. So just make sure that you you do have that um, you know conversation uh, mm. with yourself, and make sure that it's it's okay if it does, um, mm. because it's it's the game. You know, yeah. you never mm. know what you're gonna get. So,
0: well, this has been terrific. Thank I. You. Um, I've watched you and Adrian for a while here, and mm-hmm. the wisdom that's coming out now is absolutely amazing. Super impressive. Thank and you. And what's happening with Yum Butter is amazing. Yeah. So thanks for visiting of with us. Of course. Thank yeah. you so much, Tara. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.